actions speak louder than words. I feel like that is the quintessential piece of advice that people like to give you. And it sounds so cheesy, but honestly, yeah. Hey y'all, Christina here. Just a heads up about this episode. The audio quality is a little bit inconsistent because I started recording using my laptop microphone by accident. And then halfway through, I realized my mistake and bring out the, the regular professional microphone. So just in case you're a new listener and you're like, wow, this podcast sucks. Um, the quality is not usually like this. Not apologizing, but just giving you a heads up. All right, here's the show. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where imperfect people have imperfect conversations. I'm your host, Christina. And guess what? I was sitting down to record just now. Um, I have this whole episode planned, right? I have voice recordings to play. I have journal entries to read. Uh, I was feeling pretty good about it. And then I looked at the date. And I was like, oh my God, it's May 29th. Guess what happened three years ago on May 29th? It's my sober anniversary. (laughs) Three years ago on this day was the day that I had my last drink, that my friend Taylor took me to detox, and I then embarked on my quote unquote sober journey, whatever the fuck that means. If you're a new listener to the podcast, you should know that although I am sober from alcohol as of three years, I still wouldn't call myself sober per se. Um, From the beginning, this has never been a recovery podcast. It's just been a podcast where people can talk about their mental health. But what's happened since I started it in 2018 is that I started recovering, uh, whatever that means, right? Um, First... It was alcohol. That was the big one. Uh, When I started the podcast, I was still drinking. You can hear it in my voice. In a lot of the early episodes, I was really sad and really lost and just using alcohol to cope because it was available and that's what I had been using. But alcohol was never really the problem. My whole life, I feel like something was missing and that the only way to stop feeling the absence of that thing, whatever it was, is by feeling that hole with other things that hurt me. So in the beginning it was self-harm and then it turned into bulimia and then it turned into alcohol and then it went back to bulimia and then it turned into other substances. And even now today, I would not call myself sober Uh, I I do still use substances to cope. I I still use a lot of harmful things to cope. But guess what? So does everybody. I'm not special. Uh, And the world is a really scary place right now. I I don't need to tell you guys that. Just the news this week. There was another school shooting in Texas. And it's easy to want to fall back on old coping mechanisms when the world seems out of control. It feels like the world is going down the drain, so why not me too? You know, surely with with all the, the kids dying and people's rights being taken away and wars happening, you know, the threat of nuclear war, like all of a sudden 
my substance abuse issues do not seem so important when you compare it to stuff like that. And it's really easy. I think when that happens, you simultaneously make yourself less important, but also the most important. Like for me, when there's big world events going on out of my control, it almost feels safer to make it all about me because then I don't have to worry about anything else. It's not my responsibility. I relieve myself of the pressure to do anything about it, which also it shouldn't be up to us to do anything about it. Like we, we do have limited control when it comes to world events. I, I recognize that I no longer think that I can't do anything about it because there are little things we can do, but, but let's be honest. I am not going to be able to stop the the threat of nuclear war with this fucking podcast. Like, if I eat three meals a day and don't purge for the rest of my life, that's not going to help prevent more school shootings from happening. You know what I mean? But what it does when I do focus on my own recovery, it puts me in a position where I feel like I'm able to provide support to the people in my life who might be struggling because of all this stuff happening. It puts me in a position where I can be um, present for people and for the world. And maybe right now I can't do anything, but I can, I'm here. You know what I mean? I'm fully present. I can support the people in my life and I can be aware of what's happening. I think awareness is really important. So yeah, right now I'm sitting here in my kitchen with my cats sleeping peacefully nearby, and we have a solo episode. Thank you for everyone who listened last week to my episode with my friend Bianca, where we talked about her breakup. It was really good for me to record that with her. Not only did did I feel connected to another human being in that moment, but it reminded me a lot of the early days of the podcast where I was just interviewing my friends about shit going on in their lives. And, I, you know, I, of course I was dealing with my own stuff, but it was the first time I'd really talked about mental health openly in this way. And as the podcast grew and more people started listening, My problems didn't go away, but I didn't feel as alone. And it got me to the point where I was eventually able to get sober from alcohol and go to treatment and move across the country to be closer to family for my mental health. Like, I I was able to ask for help. And I don't know if I would have been able to do that if, if I hadn't started this stupid podcast where I talked about mental health in just a, a raw unfiltered way. So that's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Uh, This episode's going to be very nostalgic. Um, I asked you all on Instagram a few weeks ago, what is a life lesson that other people tried to teach you, but that you ultimately had to teach yourself? And uh, usually I only devote the last part of an episode to these pickle poll answers, but this week I'm going to devote a little more time because you all provided some really insightful answers, which prompted me to think about how I would answer the question, which prompted this whole look back into why I started the podcast and why I continue to do it. And so 
I thought it would be cool after I give you all a little mental health update. I'm going to jump right into your answers. Uh, I'm going to read some voicemails that y'all sent. I'm going to pull up some clips from older episodes. And of course, since it's me, I have a journal entry from the past that I want to share. So with that said, I feel like I should talk more about my sobriety, but honestly, this sounds weird, but it seems kind of like old news at this point. Um, so like I said, three years ago today was the last day that I drank. And I was looking at my old journals to try to maybe find a an entry to read that illustrates what I was going through at the time. And I found this entry from May 30th, 2019. Actually, let's see what the last one was. So you all remember my bullet journal uh, in the Wacko episode <laughs> a few weeks back. I was reading um, a week out of my bullet journal that I made when I was an alcoholic. And the journal, the, the one that I read to you all from April of 2019 was one of the last ones that made any sense. Basically, if you keep going from there, you can kind of see my life going out of control. Um, okay, so I found the one from May 13th to 19th. Um, and just reading through the notes, it, it's just really messy. Like, Monday I wrote vodka, withdrawals at work. No more beer, though? Took edible and binged, but didn't eat all of it. Harm reduction, question mark? High spirits, poor sleep. <laughs> And that's really all you need to know, right? Let's see, That I wrote about some stuff I was trying to do. I have a lot of goals that I never got around to doing because it's obvious to me that it's because of my alcoholism. But I, I still never stopped trying to be productive, even at the worst of my addiction. I was still tracking my, my healthy habits, <laughs> like... Um, balancing my budget, doing yoga, riding a bicycle, reading for 30 minutes. Like I was trying to do all this stuff, but in, in the week leading up to my detox, it's clear that everything is going off the rails. Let's see, Friday the 17th. So a little, a little under two weeks before I finally got sober. Uh, I only have one sentence written for that day, which is, who are you without your addictions? And that's the last thing I wrote. The, the next, like, almost two weeks after that, it's just blank. Uh, until the entry where I finally go to the hospital, which I'll read. But, um, who am I without my addictions? I think about that a lot. Um, later in the episode, of course, we'll talk about life lessons that other people tried to teach you, but that you had to teach yourself. And I think for me, one of the big ones that I, um, what's the word? When you make something a part of your personality, one of the lies that I told myself was that I am no one without my addiction. I am no one without my trauma. My identity is made up of the, the harmful coping mechanisms that I use just to survive through the day. Without that, I'm nobody. That's honestly what I believed. And it didn't matter how many times other people told me that that wasn't true. Like, as problematic as my family has been over the years, my parents have always told me that I'm smart, that I'm beautiful, that I'm talented, that I'm hardworking, all this stuff, right? And never for a single moment did I believe it until 
pretty recently, actually, and I still obviously have a hard time believing it. But, um, and I've done this with other things too, not just mental health wise, but I will pick one thing like motorcycles, for instance, or art, I'll pick one thing and I'll make that my entire personality. And when I lose it, that's usually when I do end up going to the harmful coping mechanisms because, you know, what else is there? And it's only recently that I've taken a look at my life and my personality and thought, I'm actually a pretty multifaceted person. These things don't define me, but they do add to who I am. And maybe life isn't all black and whites, you know, like hot take, I know. Maybe I'm just a culmination of all the good and the bad things in my life. And it's, it's neither good nor bad. It's just who I am. And I can't really help what has happened to me. I can't change the things that have lent themselves to my personality, but I can choose what to do with it moving forward. Um, With that said, of course, I I can't discount the fact that I have been the victim of trauma and it continues to affect me, and that's not my fault either. It's not my responsibility to pull myself up by my bootstraps and become a healthy person overnight. I'm not expecting that of myself either, but I am accepting that I don't know. I'm not doomed to be the victim of my circumstances for my whole life. Like, I'm not doomed to struggle with these things forever. But even if I do, I can still have a life that is rich and um, has moments of happiness. That's, that's all I'm expecting at this point, to be honest. Just moments of happiness. You know, I, I might struggle all the time. But if I can just carve out those those moments with the people that I love, doing the things that I love, like this podcast, obviously, then I'm okay with that. And, and that's kind of what's been going through my head since I started recording this and since I realized that today is my, my three-year sober date. Or I guess it's not the three-year sober date. Three years since I took a drink. It's crazy. Um, I just want to read real quick the entry that I wrote when I got to the hospital. So I wrote this on May 30th, 2019. And so basically what has happened was my friend uh, had come to town to visit me. I went out with her. We got drunk, had a good time, you know, at least from the surface, it was a good time. But I had been working up to this state of just full-fledged alcoholic and like up to that day I I think I was kind of trying to convince people that my drinking wasn't problematic that it was just fun and uh, I don't even know when I think about it I think everyone knew what was going on I was just so delusional that I didn't want to accept it myself but anyway this weekend that my friend was in town um I think that was when I really started realizing that I couldn't continue that way as some of you may know I was working at Starbucks at the time. I had moved from DC to Seattle in part because I wanted to try to get a job at the corporate offices there. That was, that was a big plan of mine for a while. I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but my friend who was visiting me this week that I got sober, she had connections at corporate. And so the night after we went out, she was supposed to take me and introduce me to some people there. And what happened was 
I didn't go. Like, I stood her up, basically, because I was essentially suicidal. Um, I, I still drunk, to be honest, probably, but I remember getting up and texting her some... I, I think I said, like, I have some family issues or something, but essentially I was giving up on myself in that moment. That was the moment where I was like, I'm never getting out of this. This is who I am. I, I can't pretend to have a normal life because I, I just don't have the energy anymore. And so I canceled that. And then in the days that followed, they're kind of blurry, but I remember just, I think I, I went to work and I told my manager that I needed to take some time off because I was planning on going to treatment, um, or at least that's what I told people. I told people that I was going to go to treatment, but secretly I planned to just get my cat in the care of a friend and then drink myself to death, essentially. I was going to, I don't remember how I was going to do it, um, but my plan was just to get drunk and die, essentially. And it, it sounds really melodramatic when I talk about it, but that's honestly what I wanted. All I wanted was just to give up the facade and just stop pretending that everything was fine and to just completely give in to my addiction. Which, this can be a topic for another episode, but how attractive is that option when you're in the thick of it? I've felt like this many times where the responsibilities of recovery was so much. All I wanted was just to give in to my addiction and die. Even today. Like not today, literally, but these days, sometimes that option still presents itself in an attractive light. And I, I do think about throwing away all the progress I've made sometimes. Like, what would happen if I just went off the rails? Like, the world's in the trash anyway, so why not just, just give up? Um, but what would really happen if I did that was it might be fun for a few days or a week and then real life would crash down on me and I would have to own up to my decisions. But anyway, so I had taken some time off work at Starbucks and I started taking these long walks without any goal in mind. I would bring a water bottle full of vodka and I would just go on these long walks and I started calling my ex and telling him I wanted him to take my cat and he eventually told my parents and... Um, like I said, it's kind of a blur, but at one point my friend Taylor heard that I wanted to go to the hospital. I had, I had been in an outpatient group with her, uh, for alcohol abuse and she was like the only other woman beside me. So we were, we talked and stuff, but we weren't super close. But I remember this one day I had asked her if she wanted to take Ruby because, um, like I said, I had this secret plan to get, you know, make sure my cat was in good hands and then go off and die. So I asked her to take Ruby and she, she was like, okay, uh, I can take Ruby. Also, how about I, I take you to the hospital? Like, how about I go with you? And <laughs> I didn't want that at all. I wanted to just be left to my own devices and you know, die. Um, but I agreed because I'm a people pleaser and somewhere deep inside, I think I still wanted to save myself. Um, actually, to be honest, I probably just didn't care anymore. And I was like, all right, I might as well just go get treatment. Why not? So she took me to the ER. We were there for 12 hours. And then finally I was taken to this hospital, uh, in Tacoma, which is outside of Seattle. So 
This is the entry that I wrote the first morning that I woke up in the hospital. Uh, so May 30th, 2019. I have been to hell and back and can scarcely believe this is happening. Here in the quiet psych ward of St. Joseph's in Tacoma, it's easy to forget that just 48 hours ago I was drinking a liter of vodka and carving holes in my skin. Oh, that's another thing. I had relapsed on self-harm this week. Part of me knew it had to come to this. When I started drinking the moment I woke up, when I needed spiked tea to get through the shift, when I went to see my therapist, still drunk after getting blacked out the night before, in front of friends. Taylor took Ruby and then drove me to the ER, where we waited for 12 hours before I was finally admitted, 45 minutes away. My handwriting is really bad, sorry. Um, my withdrawals were bad at that point, and I honestly was questioning everything. Why was I there? So far, it's been nice here, but nothing groundbreaking. I don't know if this will magically make me feel better when I get out, but I'm safe. I'm sober. Um, and that's it. That's the beginning of my quote-unquote sober journey. And it's, it's just so wild to me that I, I'm here and that I don't really think about alcohol anymore. I mean, aside from some you know, freak events. Like uh, I talked in the last episode, there was a moment when I had a panic attack at work and I wanted to drink. Like that doesn't really happen ever anymore. And when it does, I, I don't even consider it. Like it's an intrusive thought that happens, but I don't really follow it to the next step. I just acknowledge it and let it go. And of course I'm not perfect. There's other things that I do to cope, but I'm just really glad to be here. And I'm really excited to continue to work on my mental health and to document it on this podcast. So now I'm going to transition into the part of the show where I talk about the question that I've posed the week before and I read your answers. Um, I think it's interesting that this week we were talking about life lessons that people tried to tell us but that we had to teach ourselves because I think for me the biggest life lesson is just that I don't have to be this way and that I can ask for help. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to say. I, I'm just going to start reading your answers and then hopefully I'll remember what I was going to say along the way. Okay, so this is going to be a treat because not only did you all provide me with lots of great life lessons, but some of you sent in voicemails. Um, we're going to start out with an answer from the one and only Ginger Lou, my mother. I asked her what her answer was to this question, and this is what she said. Ginger Lou, what's a life lesson that other people try to teach you, but that ultimately you had to teach yourself? Money lessons. Definitely money. What, what's one thing people told you to do, but you were like, that's stupid. Don't spend it all. <laughs> Is this why we don't have an inheritance? <laughs> you do. You you just wait and see, girl. Oh. <laughs> so obviously that answer is really silly. Uh, my mom and I like to joke a lot together. But it got me thinking that my mom is 64 almost. If I'm wrong, I'm never going to hear the end of it. But my mom is almost 64. And she still has a lot of insecurities around money. My whole family has always been kind of financially shaky. My parents went bankrupt about eight years ago, and they've been able to come back from that, but that really traumatized our family. And um, 
the, the voicemail that I'm about to play after this kind of has to do with this uh, in a roundabout way. So here is a voicemail I got from my friend Alyssa, a.k.a. Flesh Daddy, and I think it's really interesting. Again, the question that I asked was, what is a life lesson that others tried to teach you but that you ultimately had to teach yourself? I taught myself a lot of things, like just household things, like how to fix sinks and how to cook, um, just because I had my siblings to take care of and no one had taught me how to, so I had to kind of learn on my own as I went. But uh, I think that kind of ties into something that Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek said, which is uh, it is possible to make absolutely no mistakes and still lose. It's not weakness. It's just life. Um, I learned that kind of the hard way over lifetime. my lifetime. Um, I moved out of my parents' house. Everybody knew how my mom was and, and how my mom could be. And, and still everybody excommunicated me, even though I was the one taking care of the family and everybody knew it. And I was the one getting good grades and I was the one doing every single thing right. And I was trying to go to college and I was trying to, you know, make something of myself. And everywhere I went, every turn, it was like I was barred because I wouldn't take my mom's abuse in. You know, and I feel like this kind of ties into what's going on in the world right now, especially in the U.S., uh, wage shortages, housing shortages, um, increasingly violent and radicalized people um, and climate crisis. And, you know, we little people did everything we could, everything we could. You know, we 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 got we went to college. We got a good job. We, we, you know, we did everything we were supposed to do. We were trying to buy houses, which we can't now, you know, and everybody just feels like we're all backed into a corner right now. And, and I just have to keep thinking about that. You can do everything right and still lose, you know, it's not weakness. It's just life. Thank you, Alyssa, for sending that in. I've been thinking about it a lot since I heard it for the first time. And I think it's interesting that the life lesson that my mom was talking about, learning about money, is something that we can all relate to, right? But on a bigger scale, I think the message that Alyssa is driving home, that you can do everything right and still things won't go your way, I think that's a lesson that we've all learned, especially in recent years. Um, like I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, the world is in a crazy situation right now, and it feels like we don't have any control over it. Because guess what? In many ways, we don't have any control over it. And that's fucking scary. Um, and it's funny that she used that Star Trek quote because... Oh my god, I just realized that I was using my laptop microphone to record up until now. <laughs> so the audio quality, once again, is going to be spotty. But um, anyway, I plugged in my professional microphone. And uh, we're, we're moving on. But anyway... I think it's really interesting that Alyssa brought up that Star Trek quote, which is, it's possible to make no mistakes in life and still lose, because that is what my ex Andrew told me after we broke up. Uh, if you want to listen to that story, you can go back to the episode called Interviewing My Ex, where we talk about it. But basically, I felt like I had done everything right in that relationship. Uh, we got along great. There was not a ton of conflict, but things weren't going right, and Ultimately, we broke up because we just weren't right for each other or the timing wasn't right or whatever. We're still friends like shit happens, but it wasn't meant to be whatever that means. And that quote brought me a lot of comfort in that moment. And hearing Alyssa say it just now, 
reminded me that it's still as true as ever. You can do everything right. You can do what society tells you and still, quote unquote, lose. Let's slow down for a second and talk about what that even means. Like, what does it mean to lose? Does it mean not making as much money as you thought you would by now? Is it not settling down and having a family? Is it mental health? (laughs) Like, I definitely thought that I would have everything figured out by the time I was 30. Uh, And guess what? I am two months away from being 30 and I don't have my shit together. I barely have any savings, to be honest. Like, the majority of the last year, I have had under $500 to my name once all is said and done. And so it's easy for me to think that I've lost. But when it comes to things like Well, this podcast, I guess I keep coming back to it as an example because it's one of the most stable things in my life over the last three years. Like, I don't consider that a loss. I don't consider it a loss that I've created this community and gotten really good about talking about my problems to the internet. Um, I have two beautiful cats that are healthy. I have an incredible partner that I, I wasn't even really like that came out of thin air. I wasn't really planning on meeting my person this year, you know, but that happened and I'm doing okay. You know, I'm not starving. I have a roof over my head. I'm in the same state as my family for the first time in maybe a decade. And I really don't take that for granted. So yes, in many ways, I do feel like I've lost, but also I'm really fucking young. I still have my whole life ahead of me knock on wood, and things could be a lot worse. And I I don't like it when people use that, like when you say things could be worse to kind of explain away your own situation, because I know that my situation is valid. My life has been hard, maybe not as hard as some, but it's been hard. My 20s sucked. I cannot wait to turn 30, to be honest with you. Like, I am ready to put my 20s to rest, but that's besides the point. The point is that you're doing great, sweetie. Um, okay, moving on to the other answers. Uh, my friend Janae said that the lesson that other people tried to teach them, but that they ended up having to teach themselves was, you're too young to know what real stuff feels like. And they wrote it uh, like, you know, the memes, the SpongeBob memes, where every other letter is capitalized. I don't know what it's called, but I do. I write things like this all the time. I think it's the funniest thing ever. But um, I didn't ask them to elaborate on their answer. But just taking it at surface value, I think a lot of people do tell you that when you're young, that you're too young to feel certain ways or you're too young to know what life is like. And when you're young, of course, that's the last thing you want to hear. But growing up, I feel like... <laughs> Rather than feel like I know more about life, I feel like as I get older, I know less about life. And so I kind of see where Janae is coming from. I think it's, it can be freeing to admit that you don't know what life is supposed to be like or what life is supposed to feel like or whatever. My friend Rachel at Dead Chilean Poet says that the piece of advice that other people tried to tell her was, listen when people tell you who they are. Uh, She says she got there eventually. Um, Similarly, my friend Sid says, 
that people tried to tell them who their true friends were. And they followed this up with, also, people always tell you who they are. Believe them the first time. I do this a lot where I try so hard to turn people into something they're not. Um, Take relationships, for instance. Uh, I know I keep bringing up this relationship with Andrew, my ex, but um, it's because I learned a lot from that relationship. But I don't know. the, The example that I'm thinking of is... I'm a person who likes to do things. I like to get out of the house. I like to hang out with people. Uh, Not to say I don't have my antisocial moments, but I like to be busy. And Andrew did not. He would much rather we stay in and watch TV all day, which, you know, he has clinical depression. Uh, that, That was another thing that led to our relationship ending. But I tried so hard to turn him into, like, the kind of person that I wanted him to be. And I've done this with other relationships, too, and not just romantic ones. But I try to get people to conform to my idea of what they should be. And I do this with myself, too. So, yeah, maybe when people tell you who they are, believe them. That That's the big life lesson that I got from Rachel and Sid. Another life lesson that my friend Shannon said people tried to teach her was that actions speak louder than words. And then Shannon writes, yeah, okay, until you're hiding in your neighbor's garage because you just pushed your friend down the stairs and she called the cops on you. Like a bitch. And then she says, I should clarify that I was 19. Crucial detail. (laughs) Actions speak louder than words. I feel like that is the quintessential piece of advice that people like to give you. And it sounds so cheesy, but honestly, yeah, it kind of reminds me of having a double life and you've convinced everyone of it, but secretly deep down inside, you know that you are not representing yourself honestly. And then it's a pretty shitty feeling. Uh, Going back to my sober journey At the time that I was at my worst, I think I tried so hard to convince people otherwise, including myself. Like, I I would make all these goals in my bullet journal, and I would show up to work on time and bust my ass, and then, of course, I would go into the bathroom after closing down the store, and I would binge and purge and then drink a bottle of vodka walking home. Like, that's what I would do. And I felt really guilty about it because I knew that those actions weren't representing who I was or who I really wanted to be. So yeah, that's that's a good piece of life advice. Also, <laughs> thank you, Shannon, for responding. Uh, I work with Shannon in real life, and she always makes a big deal out of being so much older than me, even though she's only four years older than me. And so when I posted this pickle poll... She was like, I guess now I feel compelled to comment. So thank you, Shannon. Uh, Moving on to the next one, Jacqueline of the Binge Breakers podcast, the one and only, said, my partner constantly told me I didn't have to think the thoughts I thought about me and that I could change years before I finally believed it myself after hearing someone phrase it differently. Uh, I'll read that again. My partner constantly told me I didn't have to think the thoughts I thought about me and that I could change years before I finally believed it myself, after hearing someone phrase it differently. Timing really is everything when it comes to life lessons. I I was using my parents as an example earlier. They always told me that I was talented and smart and all that shit, but 
I never listened to them. Like they weren't really authorities on my brain or so I thought. And I think you can't blame yourself for not heeding advice like that because, well, it's like having younger siblings. You can try to tell them something and try to prevent them from making mistakes, but in the end, they just have to go through it in order to finally learn. Uh, I can imagine that having kids is the same way. It would drive me crazy if, if I had a kid who was going through the same stuff that I went through and didn't heed my warnings. Like, I, I can't imagine how frustrating that is. And so, Jacqueline, I can especially relate to your story because I also had a partner uh, back when I was in the first five years of my eating disorder that told me how beautiful I was and that told me I didn't have to do this to myself and that told me that my body dysmorphia was just lying to me, all this stuff. I mean, this partner was, was a terrible person otherwise, but they did give me this little piece of wisdom that I didn't listen to because I was like, you don't know me. You don't know what's going on in my head. So yeah, retrospect. Am I right? My friend Elizabeth says closure comes from yourself and not others. Hmm. Closure comes from yourself and not others. I really like that one because you can't really rely on closure just coming to you wrapped up in a bow. You know, I, I think some sort of situations will never become resolved and that the only way that you can move on is by accepting it in your heart and thus giving yourself closure. Who who the fuck am I? I said thus on my podcast. Maybe I am finally smart after all. Um, moving on to the next answer, my friend 80 said that the life lesson that other people tried to teach them but that they had to teach themselves was, he's 21 and you're 15. You're not special. He's a pedo. Ooh, again, you cannot be told these things. You just have to live it. And unfortunately, that means trauma. Speaking of siblings and introspection, I was thinking about this prompt about what are some life lessons that we had to teach ourselves. And I thought back to the episode that I recorded with my sister Caroline in 2019. I'm going to play a clip from that episode, but before I do, I kind of want to provide some background on what was going on. So... Caroline was anorexic in high school. I was bulimic in high school, but we never talked about it. We both kept our secrets to ourselves. And granted, her eating disorder arrived kind of while I was in the process of leaving, and then it didn't get really bad till I was out of the house. So we weren't in the house at the same time actively in our eating disorders, but we definitely could have talked about it. Like we had so much in common that we didn't even realize. And it wasn't until the end of 2018 when she helped me move from DC to Seattle. Um, we rented a minivan. She helped me drive there. And then when we got home, we recorded this podcast together. Uh, but it wasn't until this podcast that she openly admitted that she had had an eating disorder. And so um, here is the clip in which we talk about that. I just wanted to not be confronted, not be yelled at, not be cried to. <laughs> like, yeah. I wanted things to go smoothly and peacefully, maybe like I did when I was a kid. I mean, that's like just your personality. Yeah. But since I was the cause of strife, I was just like, oh, they do not need this in their lives. 
I will deal with it myself. I never told anyone. You never told anyone to this in my day. Life. You this kind is of... like the first time I've actually said it because I told you earlier, like I have moved so far past it that I feel free to tell anybody now. But it kind of scares me that if I were still dealing with it now, I probably wouldn't be telling you guys all these things. I probably would still want to keep it to myself. And that's really important to bring up yeah. to the people who are still struggling. It's so important to talk about this stuff. With anyone you can. Like, even if there's someone online, like, your friends will probably be more understanding than you think. Yeah, like, and I if remember... They aren't, if they don't, they're either just kind of unsure what to do and it makes them nervous or they're assholes and you shouldn't be friends with them if i could go back i really wish i had shared more with you like when we shared you a room, do i didn't tell anyone and we i mean related it, so much on so many things and we talk all the time about them now yeah like this podcast yeah we talk but, about this shit all the time yeah we're like we should make this a new podcast because it's just natural i mean caroline and i have so much in common but when it mattered we didn't really talk to each other about it and yeah. i wonder how much of a difference we could have made if we were open with each other i i felt like you would have judged me or thought of me differently yeah. And in my situation, it kind of all blew up in everyone's faces, whether I wanted it to or not. And I was scared of that. I was scared of everyone being worried for me or seeing me as this person who can't control herself. And Yeah, I feel because, like people thought of me that way. Yeah, despite, like, the whole thing being over, like, I needed to have some control in my life over how I looked, how I felt. I always wanted to be healthy, like, and I kind of had this skewed version of what healthy meant. But anyway, it was about being in control, but I actually was the most out of control I've ever been, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every time I listen to that episode, it makes me nostalgic for that trip because it was really fun. I was finally on my own in Seattle after moving somewhere with some dude that I didn't really have a lot in common with. Our relationship had a lot of problems. You see a pattern here. Uh, but I had broken that off. I had gotten a job in Seattle and moved for myself, by myself. And here was my sister, one of my best friends, embarking on this epic road trip with me across the country. And I was really excited for all that was to follow. And this podcast that I recorded with her, uh, it's episode six, by the way, The Family Issue definitely worth a listen. We talk about our childhood and all that shit. But it was so good to just be in my new apartment in Seattle with Caroline, recording the podcast, talking about mental health, and kind of coming clean to each other about a lot of things. I mean, it was more her coming clean about stuff that she had been going through that I knew she had been going through, but we hadn't really talked about it at this length before. And the reason that I played this was because talking about life lessons we learned, I think one thing that I've learned is that telling people about what you're going through is priceless. Like, there is no better thing you can do today after listening to this than open up to someone about what you're going through. They don't have to give you advice per se. In fact, sometimes it's better when they don't give you advice. But just trusting someone enough to tell them and then feeling that weight disappear once you have told them, it's it, there's nothing to compare it to. Another part of this piece, of course, is asking for help. I have really been bad at asking for help my entire life. And like I said earlier, it wasn't until recent years that I finally became comfortable talking about this stuff, but also 
putting myself in the position of realizing that I need help. Like I can't do this on my own and maybe other people can relate. And that has changed my life maybe more than any other piece of advice has. It's okay to struggle, but being okay with it doesn't mean that you're doomed to struggle. Like I I know I, I used that word earlier, doomed, but it's true. I feel like most of my life I did feel doomed to struggle alone. And the beautiful thing about this podcast or one of the beautiful things is just that I'm not alone and other people want to hear about this stuff and it's it's just beautiful. So if, if there's one thing I encourage you to do after listening to this episode, it's just talk to someone, tell someone that you're having a rough time right now and maybe that's it. Maybe you stop there or maybe you ask someone to check in with you. Maybe you ask someone to, you know, come over and talk for a little bit. I don't know. It's obviously easier said than done, but I I promise that it'll be worth it. And maybe it takes opening up to a few people before you find someone that you can really trust. Unfortunately, some people do not have your best intentions in mind. And that's one thing I've... (laughs) figured out too over the years is that not everyone can be trusted with the details of your mental health. Some people will use it against you. And so use discernment. But in the end, we're all just out here struggling together. And odds are that things are going to get worse before they get better. But that doesn't mean you're doomed to repeat your same mistakes. Uh, With that said, I guess I'll just wrap up the episode. Before I do, first of all, thank you to everyone who responded to this week's pickle poll. The podcast would be nothing without you all. As always, I'm going to give you a heads up for the next pickle poll so you can think about your answers. Um, And then in two weeks, I will read them on my next solo episode. But the next pickle poll is what negative emotion were you able to reframe and use to the benefit of your mental health? Again, what negative, in quotes, emotion were you able to reframe and use to the benefit of your mental health? I'm talking about emotions like sadness, anger, things that society says is bad for you, but that is not only a normal emotion, but one that we need to feel and that we can use for the benefit of our mental health. So in two weeks, I'll have another solo episode and I will read your answers and as well as elaborate on my own. Uh, I have a special guest planned for next week that I'm super excited about. If you ever wanted to be a guest, hit me up. I'm slowly getting back into the cycle of having guests regularly, and I would love to talk to you about your mental health experiences, especially now. So hit me up if you want to talk about mental health with an incredibly awkward podcast host, and it'll be great. All right, y'all. Please take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week. And I feel like I need an out. Like, I feel like now that I've perfected my tagline, I need I need something to say before I close the episode. Stay safe is too generic. What if I say it's okay to fuck up? Or what about don't forget to show up and have the conversation? Keep showing up. Keep having the conversation and take care of yourselves. Uh, I'll keep working on that. (laughs) Bye till next week. Hello, friends. 
It's Christina again. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to support Pickles and Vodka, you can give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Pickles and Vodka Podcast. If you could relate to anything at all we talked about today or you just want to say hi, email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at picklesandvodkapodcast. Stay safe and have a good week. Bye.